take a minute and pray together. Jesus, this is so beyond our understanding what you went through. We worship you today and we thank you. We want to know your heart tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Well, if you're anything like me, that is really, really hard to watch. I was actually watching it last night and I just, I wish I could fast forward. It is so hard to watch the sacrifice of Jesus and hit pause and, and stay in this place where it's so horrible, such torture. And I wish I could go back to the end already, when everything is okay, when he wins. But tonight, we take this time to think of what had to happen first. And maybe tonight, you're having a hard time wanting to fast forward in your own life. Because Jesus never denied that in this world, we would go through suffering and affliction. And when he came from heaven to enter in our limitation of our human condition, he fully embraced every kind of suffering that there is. And today we're reflecting on the suffering that we experience in the world, the suffering that Jesus himself experienced. And I'd like to share with you a story. I know each of you carry your own but four years ago, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes as a 30-year-old that's typically for children. And I was at the hospital very sick and when I was delivered those news. It's that moment when you're, you haven't digested that new reality yet and you go to sleep, you wake up the next day and you think you just had a bad dream because that doesn't fit with reality, and I was thinking, Jesus, there's a part of my body that is now dead, and now I'm forever dependent on a medication in order to survive, and I have to take six injections a day. And I came to, uh, to church here the next Sunday, and I was sitting in the back row, and I was just bawling so broken before the Lord and experiencing and on my skin one bit of suffering that as humankind we experience in this world. And in that place of brokenness and despair, when I had no idea what my life was going to be like from now on, Jesus met me in that place. And you guys, as hard as it is, so many of you, I hear your stories. It is hard. It is hard as we are watching here today, sometimes the intense pain that we go through. But there is something so powerful about meeting Jesus in that place when you're so aware of how powerless you are. That's the reality each day, but all of a sudden your eyes are open that there's nothing you can do and you feel so vulnerable and so weak. And the Father encounters you in that place. 
I want to read with you uh, Hebrews 2. Let's read this together. For it was fitting for God that he, for whose sake are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the author and founder of their salvation, that is Jesus, perfect through suffering, bringing to maturity the human experience necessary for him to be perfectly equipped for his office as high priest. As I was asking myself these past several weeks, why, why did it have to hurt so much? I understand as Christians, we understand that Jesus had to die to pay for our sins. We understand that his innocent blood had to be shed. But why the torture? Why all of that, all those details that we're just watching, why? Why did it have to be so painful and brutal, unhuman? And this scripture made me think how Jesus, although already perfect, he was made perfect through his suffering to be fully equipped in his human experience. It struck me to see that in the Old Testament, the scriptures that we read about suffering sound something like this. God saw the suffering. God heard their cry. I was reading about the slavery in Egypt, and that's the, word, the wording that you find. And then Jesus comes, and what you read is, he himself suffered. All of a sudden, suffering and pain is not something he hears about from heaven, but it is something that he's experiencing in his own body so that today he is fully equipped to walk with you in your pain. The one who knows pain. He's not sanitized, separated in heaven, but he was willing to come and said, let me feel like what this life like is like here. And I'll tell you something else about that day when I was sitting in the back row. I wasn't healed. I'm still journeying in my sickness. But the Lord reminded me, yes, there is a place where there's no more sickness and there's no more tears. There's no more suffering because he's fully equipped and he knows what suffering is. As we worship through a couple of songs, we wanna give you permission to sit or to stand or to kneel, whatever you'd like to do as we worship through song. Placed on him, the whole 
Yes, the blood, it is my victory. God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
to come with all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings you are my everything and I will adore you have a seat. The summer after my junior year of college, I worked in Canada at a summer camp. And on one of the weeks on our day off, we were bored and looking for something to do. There was this really old piano in one of the buildings of the camp. It was this upright piano, maybe five feet tall. Um, really old, hasn't been taken very good care of. Uh, it was beyond retuning beyond repair, uh, and it was just taking up space. No one had bothered to get rid of it just because it was so heavy for how solidly it was built. So the idea was is we would take care of it. Um, we would get out some post-camp frustration and destroy it. So a few guys, they uh, carried the piano out into the middle of the parking lot and there was a, a dozen of us circled around it. But there was one person, her name was Jaylene, who hated the idea of this, and she was really vocal about it. Um, we ignored her. We thought she was just being overly dramatic. Until she did something, uh, as we were standing around this piano in the middle of the parking lot, She walked up to it, and with a look on her face that said, I'm sorry, she started She started to play it. I don't remember what she played. I remember that it was beautiful, that it was out of tune. But in that moment, my best friend Max and I, we looked at each other and realized that we were making a mistake. Collectively, our souls said together, oh no. That's when the first person walked up with the sledgehammer. He swung it as hard as he could. 
and he delivered the blow so hard that it created this sound, this violent groan of all the strings vibrating together in this sickening way as if the, the piano itself was crying out in pain. And it didn't end there because he kept at it and the sledgehammer was passed around the circle and the piano started to lose its form and you couldn't help but wince every time it was struck, just the sound of wood shattering and strings inside of it snapping from the force. It was heartbreaking. Jaylene had left at this point. She couldn't watch. Max and I, we felt compelled to stay. That's when the next person walked up with a bottle of lighter fluid and started dousing it. He made sure to get an ample amount on the keyboard because he thought it would look cool. And he lit a match and he threw it and the piano was engulfed in flames. As Max and I watched the piano burn, we were just processing the fact that this thing that was supposed to be entertaining had just turned into this terrible tragedy that we would come to regret doing and being a part of. What I realized when Jaylene started to play was that there was something inside this piano that was immeasurably valuable, something eternal. It was music. But more than that, that piano contained the memory of every single note ever played on it. Every high school student who only knew how to play clocks by Coldplay, every little kid who didn't know what they were doing, but who's to say that was any less beautiful? It contained the passion of every song played with passion. It contained the meaning of every song that was played with meaning. These are things that cannot and should never be destroyed, and they weren't, but to watch the thing that contained them be treated like this, to watch it get beat to pieces and burned, it felt wrong because of what was inside. Just as death itself is wrong because of what is inside every one of us, when God created all things, death was not an intended part of it. Death is not part of life. It is the opposite. It is its enemy. Death is not beautiful. If you've ever watched someone die, you know this. It is ugly. Even though every one of us has an eternal peace placed inside of us, even though our soul goes on when we die, we still face death. Every single one of us lives in this reality. And there is an inconsistency there. There is a tension there. And when we watch someone who has eternity placed inside of them die, we feel that tension. We sense how wrong it is. We sense how tragic death is. 
And we are not alone in that. Because death grieves God in every form. Murder, suicide, the unborn, kids in a high school, even death at old age. The funerals that I've been to for people who have lived an incredibly long life tend to be celebratory, but we don't celebrate the fact that they're gone. Of course we would wish that they had stayed. We celebrate the things that occurred in their life, but part of us finds peace and solace in knowing that this person that we love and care about doesn't have to wait at death's doorstep anymore. Because death is a tragedy And it is never something God ever intended us to experience. As tragic as death is because of what is inside of us, consider Christ. God himself in a human form. It is tragic when one of us dies. For the author of life itself to come in contact with death. That is a tragedy on a magnitude that we do not have the words to describe. When we encounter death, Jesus is with us because he knows death. When a friend dies, when a family member dies, when someone that we love or care about or know dies, Jesus is grieving with us just as he did outside of Lazarus' tomb even though he knew he was going to see him soon. Because death is a tragedy. The author of life went through the tragedy of death for us.
of Calvary How is it I should profit While He is crucified Yet as His life was taken 
so I was granted mine. My wealth is in the cross. There's nothing more I want than just to know his love. My heart is set on Christ and I will count all else as loss. The greatest of my crowns mean nothing to me now. For I counted up the cost, and all my wealth is in cost. stand in glory my crowns before the Lord let this be my confession my wealth is in the is in the cross there's nothing more I want than just to know his love my heart is set on Christ and I will count all else as loss the greatest of my crowns mean nothing to me now for I counted up the cost all my wealth is in the cross
is in the cross. All my wealth is in the cross. My life, all my wealth is in the cross. For the Hebrew people, um, there are, are three typical images in the Old Testament um, that kind of symbolize the presence of God. So if, if these things happen, it's, it's to say, like, God is here. Um, the first um, thing is the image of a st- storm, like a big storm. Um, the, the Hebrew people would say, whenever, like, these big gargantuan storms happen, God is in this storm. The second image is the image of the earthquake. And so when earthquakes happen, uh, the Hebrew people would say, God is in this earthquake. Um, This is symbolic of the presence of God. And then the third, and I would say, is a pretty common image for the Hebrew people. It's the image of fire. Um, Whenever there is fire, um, think about the burning bush, think about Sinai, think about um, the, the different things that God shows up in this form of fire. That if there's fire, they'd say, ah, God, God is here. Um, there's this very ancient story about the prophet Elijah. Um, he was told he was told to go into this cave and hang out there because God is going to pass by this cave. And so the prophet Elijah goes to this cave and he hangs out and he prays and he prays and he prays and he's just hanging out for God to come by. And so, so as the story goes, um, the first thing that happens is he's there in this cave, and he's hanging out in this cave, and he's praying, and he's just, just hanging out for God to come by. And, and then there's this huge storm that passes by, this wind, this gust that passes by. And, you know, being a, a, a Jewish person, if you were in this cave, you would think, surely, surely God, and God's voice, surely God is in this, in this storm, because this is how God shows up. But the, the text says, but God was not in the storm. That's interesting. That would be interesting. And so he hangs out there still in the cave, and, and he, he was promised that God was going to pass by this cave. And the second thing that happens is there's this earthquake. The, the earth shakes. And surely, being a Jewish person, you would think that God was in this earthquake. I mean, this is common. This is what God does. When God shows up, the earth shakes and things happen. But the text says that God was not in the earthquake. So Elijah hangs out in the cave and he continues to pray. He's patient. He is, he, God's going to show up. He promised. And so 
Next, you guessed it, right? The next thing that happens is this fire shows up. Right? And surely God would be in the fire because that's what God does is he shows up in fire. And the text says that God was not in the fire. And so he hangs out. If I'm him at this point, I'm thinking, he doesn't got anything else to offer me. <laughs> like, he's done everything he normally does. He, he, he blew by in the storm. He gave the earthquake. He, the fire showed up, but God was absent in all three. There isn't anything left. And then the text says that as he was in this cave, there was the sound of a quiet whisper. The actual Hebrew it isn't that at all. The actual Hebrew would be, it was the sound of absolutely nothing. It was the sound of the void of sound. It was nothing, right? Like, like so if there can be the sound of the opposite of sound, it was that. And that passed by the cave. And it says that God was in that. For Elijah, the feeling would be, God is doing his own thing. There's something new happening here. God is in the absence. God is in the void. He was not in the fire. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the storm. He was in the sound of absolutely nothing. The crucifixion happens. The spirit of Jesus goes from his body and there was a massive storm. If I am a Jewish person, I'm thinking something. Even the people who aren't Jewish are thinking something. The centurion says, surely this must be the son of God. That's how big the storm was. Then something else happens. There's an earthquake, right? There's an earthquake. But God was not in the earthquake. And then, following the earthquake, there was something very profound that happened. It says that the curtain in the holies of holies is split in half. What I love about that is it exposes this curtain that has been hiding the presence of God for like a hundred years or more. Splits in half, exposing that God is not behind the curtain so you had the crucifixion. The spirit of Jesus is released. The storm happens. The earthquake happens. And then this curtain is split in two. And God was not in the storm. And God was not in the earthquake. And God was not hiding behind the curtain. And if I am anyone who is present in this situation, I am thinking... God is up to something completely new. Because at this point, it is just silent. And there is void of all expectation, understanding, and comprehension. And God was in that and in this situation. And the body of Christ was taken from the cross and taken to a cave. It seems to me that God does a lot in caves. <laughs> In the void, in the silence, in the confusion, in the absence, we find the most profound presence of God. 
in the spaces between Good Friday and Easter, we find some of the most profound presences of God. You see, God in this is up to something new. Because this is a God who is present in the suffering. This is a God who is present in death. And this is God who is present in the silence. And if you are anything like me, that's where God needs to be. He needs to be in the suffering. He needs to be in the death. And he needs to be in the silence. Because that's where I find a lot of where I am. And so in these situations, I say, praise be to God. And he is good. And this is why we call tonight Good Friday. The act of taking communion, the bread, the symbol of the broken body of Christ, and then the cup, the symbol of the shed blood of Christ. The church has done this for thousands of years to testify. We believe that God came down to earth, was perfect, and he was crucified for the redemption of our sins so that we don't have to die, but we may have eternal life. It is to embrace his broken body and it is to embrace his blood as a gift and to testify to the truth of who he is and where our hope lies. So tonight I'm going to give you the opportunity to come forward in silence and take the bread and to take the cup as a gift to you, as a sacrifice for you. And for you to, to enter into a calling, a purpose, and an identity that was always yours. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. And then as you feel comfortable, come forward. And then you're able to go home. But please be quiet, be silent, and experience God in the absence, in the silence, in the void. Oh God, we thank you for who you are and the places you have come into to find us. Jesus, we thank you that you are present in the suffering. We thank you that you are here in the death and that you speak to us in the silence. God, we thank you that you are a God who does your own thing. Teach us to hear your voice. God, as a church, all of us say thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice that you have made for us. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for hearing our cries. Thank you for being by our side in the struggle. Jesus, thank you. Christ Community Church, for those of you who are experiencing suffering, Jesus suffers with you. For those of you who are experiencing death, Jesus is right by your side. And for those of you who are experiencing silence and absence, 
Jesus is right smack dab in the middle of it. May you see his face in the silence. May you see his face in the death. And may you see his face in the suffering. And may you rise to accept him as a gift. In Christ we pray and in Christ we proclaim. Amen.